Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Today's guest is Amber Donovan. Amber is the founder and executive director of Community of Hope, a mentoring program based in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, welcome, Amber, to the Aging Out Institute podcast. We're happy to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. I'm so happy to be here. Well, you're very welcome. We're so glad to have you. I am very interested in learning about your program. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how is it that you got connected with foster care? Sure. I am a social worker for over 25 years. Um, When I was in college and in my master's program, I worked in the child welfare field. um, And that's kind of the beginning of where I learned about child welfare, foster care, adoption, aging out of foster care. And it's kind of been a passion of mine since then. I was a professor also throughout my career. And so I taught a lot about family violence and child welfare to students for about 17 years. I was a professor. That's kind of how I got introduced to you know, the issues of child welfare and really became passionate about helping young people move forward through their experiences. Hmm. Wow, that's fantastic. And what motivated you to get into social work? Um, I think I was a first-generation college student, and I knew that it was mentoring that had really helped me along the way, and I wanted to help other people succeed and kind of come out of a life maybe where they were experiencing family violence or poverty, just some of those generational cycles that make it difficult for people to move forward in their life. So I just knew from personal experience how important it was to have relationships to help you move forward. Definitely. Well, why don't we go ahead and find out about your organization, Community of Hope. Could you tell us how did it get started and what is it that you do? Sure. I started Community of Hope two years ago, um, and our mission is to build lasting relationships to nurture hope and restore dignity by creating family-like relationships for youth who've experienced foster care or homelessness. So we started as a team mentoring program two years ago. Before that, we used another national model to create groups around young people. And we just decided two years ago when there was a lot of interest in Cleveland around volunteerism that we should become a nonprofit and create our own program. So that's what we did. So we recruit volunteers from around Cleveland. And Cleveland has an east side, a west side, and a south side. So we try to create very diverse groups of people. We gather around six people for one young adult who's aged out of foster care. We train both the youth and the volunteers what it's like to get into relationship, what commitment is necessary, the consistency that's needed to build relationships, the trust level, how do you build trust, particularly with the young people, we discuss their trauma history and how difficult it can be, we know, to let strangers into their life. So we do a lot of training, we get a lot of relationship building, and then the young people are allowed to pick out their volunteers. So they pick who they want to have around a table with them and they basically build their own community. And then we begin by launching these groups and supporting them. And the young people, they create a toolkit, which is basically the activities that they'd like to do with the group. Some of them have never been to an art museum or a theater. Uh, Some of them don't know how to drive or they want to learn how to cook. They want to learn how to budget their money, how to get a better job. So they create kind of a list of the things that they want to do. And then the group comes alongside of them 
and helps them step by step, week by week, uh, and they meet weekly for a year. And then after the first year, it's about it's probably about monthly. So we we continue to meet, just not as intensely. So the idea is that we're creating permanent supportive relationships for youth. All right. And what is the goal by the end of the year? What is it that you want to see that young person being able to do as far as the relationship? So what, what, what is the outcome that you're hoping for at the end of that year? So what we've seen with young people is that sometimes when they come to these groups, they're hesitant because a lot of people have made a lot of promises to stay in their lives and then they don't always do it. But they are really anxious to have people in their lives, positive people. They're pretty isolated and pretty alone uh, when they age out of foster care. So we serve youth between 18 and really 28 years old. And when they come to us, sometimes they're still in foster care, so they haven't already aged out, some of them. Some of them have aged out and they're a little older. About 40% of them are parents, young parents. So what we're looking for is we're measuring a lot of the different things that are going on in their lives. So are you housed? Do you have a job? Are you going to school? Do you have enough money to pay your bills? Do you have health care? Are you connected to a doctor if you need to be seen? Mental health, we, we, look, at their, we look at their ACEs score and we see um, if they need mental health connection. Honestly, we love seeing the growth in how they view themselves because sometimes People have to show them that they're worthy because they spend their time with them. Like these strangers spending time with them is like a super foreign idea because they're not used to people who aren't paid to be there, to be there. So this group of people is not paid to be in their life. And in fact, they pay a fee to serve uh, through Community of Hope to cover kind of just, you know, backgrounding costs and training handbooks and stuff like that. But it's a minimal fee, but it's it's so different for the young people to have people who want to be there, volunteering to be there in their lives. So really what we're looking for by the end of the year is that they have this permanent connection with, with at least one or two of the people, but generally they get something different from each person. So it helps them see the, the value of having different people in their lives. It sounds like the open table model. Is that the national model you were referencing earlier? Yes, yes. We started there in 2014 with Open Table. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is it that you see as being the greatest benefit of having a group mentoring approach versus a one on one mentoring approach? Our young people just have a lot of needs. They need a lot of different things. And I think even as a social worker, I, I sat on the very first group of people, the first team in Cleveland, because I wanted to see what it was like. And what I realized pretty quickly was that most of what we were doing was helping him get organized. He was full of capability, full of promise, but helping him really learn how to organize and to really understand systems like healthcare systems, Medicaid, getting, you know, making sure he had all the housing, understanding how to get, you know, what your rights are as a tenant. Um, So it was really about helping them get organized. But what I found was that with a group of people, it was this really wonderful creation of almost a family, like a second family. The benefit for the volunteers were that we got to become really good friends with the people that were serving with us, right? So there was this awesome community that was developed and that the young person took a lot of pride in the fact that they were the reason there was a shared purpose around this young person. And they were very excited to have a group of people, not just one-on-one, but because 
our lives are busy. Some weeks, maybe I wasn't available to help organize where another person in the group was. It was this really wonderful um, team approach. And so what it also teaches young people is how to work in a team, which is such an important skill for any type of job that you're going to have and any type of family when you decide you want you have your own family, right? So it's just a really good modeling. I loved the group approach. I have thought about that group approach for years, probably at least 10 years. I've had the idea of particularly a group of mentors with an employer. The idea being that you take a young person with a local employer who has, you know, you work with them to build that team. The idea being is that they would hire this young person, right? And that young person would work there part-time, full-time, whatever the case may be, but then they'd have this team with them. And I always thought the benefits that you've mentioned, but also I think of big brothers, big sisters. If the big brother, big sister has to leave, they get married, they move away. That whole relationship just, it's gone. And if you have a team, if you have a group, and unfortunately somebody does have to leave for whatever reason, you still have, there might be pain there, but you have everybody else to continue supporting that, that youth. Right. Exactly. 98% of our volunteers stay for at least a year, honestly. Our, gr- our groups meet right now, and the average continues to go up, but they, they meet on average right now about 24 months. So they really fall in love with each other. Sometimes young people feel like projects, right? They're not projects, they're people. And the other thing that we are really good at is really looking at, they have the right to determine whatever decisions they want in their life, which is why we allow them to choose who their volunteers are. They didn't have the right to choose their foster parents. They don't have, you know, a lot of input into when they age out or what happens to them after they age out. There's just all sorts of uncertainty growing up in their lives. And so as an adult, and, you know, we're treating you like an adult, you're 18 when you start with us, and we're going to let you make the decision about who you want to have in your life. So our application is long for volunteers, but it's because we want our young people to read through and get a sense of you know, what are some of the challenges that this person has overcome? What do they want to learn from the young person? It's a very respectful way of telling volunteers that they're not here to fix anybody. We don't see these kids as broken. We see them as young adults who are growing up. And as this group grows together, you know, there's going to be some changes for everybody along the way. So we believe that the young people have a lot to teach. And so we try to be very respectful and let in the training of both the youth and the volunteers, it's a mutual relationship that we're building. We want a friendship. If you spend time sharing your life for a year with a group of people or one-on-one, you're going to feel connected to that group and you're going to trust them when things come along that you have questions about or that you need help with. Right. Well, how do you recruit your mentors? I know that's one of the challenges that I hear over and over again is finding enough people to be mentors. And not only are you having to find one mentor, you're having to find a team. So how do you find your mentors? Now you're in Cleveland, so it's a big population, but do they find you? Do you contact partners? At first, we started in the faith community, the faith-based community. Um, So we started in churches, um, but that was a little bit slow for me. So we actually went to um, some nonprofits, the National Council of Jewish Women and the YWCA of Greater Cleveland. And so we started engaging nonprofits and talking to them about how their volunteer people who have volunteers or people who have youth that they serve, right? 
And how can we leverage and partner together to raise awareness around issues of aging out of foster care in our community and what happens when you leave foster care? You know, young people who leave foster care feel invisible in the community. People don't think about what happens when they leave foster care. That safety net is essentially ripped out from underneath of them and they are on their own. And if they've moved around a lot and had multiple placements, they don't have roots in any one community where they know a significant amount of people and have a good network. So we started just really raising awareness. We would host meetings and we would have young people tell their stories. Honestly, having young people talk about not the trauma in their life so much when they were young people or when they were children, but really as an adult, how has this group of people changed your life? Like how has your life been impacted? And then having volunteers say, you probably thought it was going to be one way, but it probably ended up being a different way. So tell us what volunteers that would want to do this would need to know. So that's how we do it. We let the people talk and share their story. We've been in the media a, a bit here, and they were doing a story called A Greater Cleveland, and they wrote 14 stories on us in 2018. And so we had 250 volunteers come forward, and that's why we became a nonprofit. I needed the structure to manage 250 volunteers and launched, we launched 27 communities that year. So that really propelled us forward. People really knew about what the work and then it became a little less difficult to recruit, right? Because it was kind of more of a known entity. So I would say that marketing of, you know, the media attention was helpful. But now we have employers coming to us and they're telling their employees and then They want to serve on a group together or they don't want to be together. They want to be with a different group. We want our groups to be diverse. Uh, We want them to kind of match the community that we live in. So we think that the diversity on these groups is actually the strength of the experience for both the volunteers and for the young persons. It's really challenging. I mean, whenever you get a group of strangers together, sometimes they're not strangers, but most of the time they are strangers. Their shared purpose is really that they want to help a young person move their life forward. And some people also need community in their own life. Social isolation is real for not just young people. It's real for an older generation of people as well. So it kind of gets people out of the house, off out in front of the TV, and they're just out and um, enjoying activities, enjoying conversations, doing fun things. Like one group just had a meeting before the pandemic where they were learning how to knit. Like they were just somebody on the, on, in the group was like, I'm going to teach everybody how to knit. And the young person was all in. So they had like a knitting night and it was like three men, three women, and these pictures of them knitting. And I was like, this is awesome. Like what a great, that was the first time anyone had done a knitting night. You know, we've had yoga. They just do lots of creative things, a lot of exposure to like new activities, but also a lot of meals around the table and conversations about hopes and dreams and sharing about, you know, the mistakes that, you know, the older generation may have made that they can help share that shape the experience for the younger person. So it's really, really beautiful, actually. It sounds like it. Well, you mentioned that you have some employers come to you. I can imagine, and I'm thinking of people who are listening, who have mentor programs, who are looking for new ideas as far as recruiting mentors employers, many of them are looking for a connection with the community. There's that social responsibility desire. And so I could see that absolutely being an opportunity as well as maybe retirement activity centers and things like that, because people who have retired may be looking for, like you're saying, some kind of personal connection with somebody else and mentoring might be a way to go. 
Right. It's a little tricky because a lot of people want to do sort of like a one and done. We call those kind of, you know, more of transactional, you know, a one and done one hour and we've done something and we feel good and we leave. But that doesn't essentially transform anybody's life, right? So this is definitely for somebody who is looking for a more transformative experience. Like they're looking to learn and to grow and to have an open mind and an open heart and really not be judgmental, right? There's a lot of learning for the volunteers, more than they anticipate at the beginning. (laughs) And so oftentimes the volunteers will say, well, I actually had a volunteer say to me, Uh, About six months into her group, it was a very diverse group. It was three Jewish ladies from the National Council of Jewish Women, and it was five African-American church members. We had an event, and she said to me, my life is big now in a way that I didn't know I needed. And she wasn't just speaking about the young person. She was speaking about the whole experience of creating community out of a group of people she never would have met had she not said yes to helping a young person. And the young person became the the leader, right? She was the leader of that group and so proud of the family that they created. And they just like, they get together still, even now it's been almost three years. Yeah, it'll be three years. They get together and they have a picnic and the, you know, they grill out and they line dance. Like that's their thing. They like to line dance when they get together. So they send me these videos and it's so beautiful because they're just enjoying one another. There's no difference really. They're just enjoying being together. And it wasn't always that way. It was difficult at the beginning. They had to like put down all of their preconceived notions about whatever group they were a part of and they were joining. And the young person, the same thing. She had preconceived notions of both populations as well. And so she had to let those stereotypes go and really realize that there's more that connects us than separates us. So it was really that they teach us, right? They inform the direction of the work that we go through. And the groups, each group teaches us something new about how to do the work. We really love letting the youth lead us. When we do a youth training, we have a young person do the training. We have a young person come and speak to the young people we're training for this experience. And we have them say, this is what it is. This is what's good about it. These are the challenges that you'll go through. But if you stick it out, if you stay consistent, if you keep communicating, it's going to be awesome. Like you're going to have these amazing people in your life. So that's really fun too. Yeah. That's great to set the stage that way. You have a lot of mentors. How do you communicate with them? Um, So we use a um, project management database called Basecamp. We communicate two ways. So each group has their own Basecamp, which is basically like their own group of people. So just their team without the young person and with all of my staff and myself. And they write a note weekly to tell us what their communication, how much time they've spent, who was at the meeting, what did they do. And then if there's any issues that come up during the week, that's how they communicate with each other. And we ask them to do that so that we can support them, so that my staff and I can support them. So that's how we kind of keep up with the weekly. We have quarterly meetings with each team, just the team, again, without the young person, just to let them kind of tell us how things are going, if they have questions or they need ideas, they need resources for the young person, they need referrals. That's how we can communicate with them and encourage them to keep going because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes young people, their phones maybe get shut off or they're not responding to texts. We need to figure out why. We need to figure out what's going on. Is there something happening? 
um, and how can we help them get back on track? So we're kind of the bridge in between the volunteers and the youth, the staff is. We don't allow things to become an emergency. When we see stuff happening, we react in real time. And that's how we keep the groups engaged. 88% of our groups from the last two years continue to meet. So that's pretty high. And the reason is because we're not really a program. We're really a family. And that's what we say when they go through their training is that, like, we're going to be here. You're not going to age out of Community of Hope. So so six years ago, you know, I was on the very first group. I still talk, you know, he's in my life. He comes to my house for his birthday. He comes to my house for Christmas and Thanksgiving. He's part of our family. Yesterday, I spoke to a young man who just six years ago, he had a group. And he was showing me his tour of his brand new apartment through FaceTime. He was like giving me the tour. And I was like, this is amazing, you know, because we're part of his life. You know, he's part of our lives. So we're not a program. We really are a family. And I think that we've earned that trust through young people. And when I receive people ask me sometimes, where do the young people come from? And how do you get young people? And my favorite way to get young people is when siblings refer one another or friends refer. When the young people are referring their friends or their family members to get their own community, you know that you've arrived because they trust you. They trust you. So I love that. Yeah, that speaks volumes. And I love serving siblings. We have one, one set of tw- no, we have two sets of twins. Both of them have had groups and still, and you know, they're both very different. You know, twins are different. So that's really cool too to watch how they have their own group so that they can be their own individual. So we love that. We love serving siblings um, sometimes. And we have providers, obviously, that are both independent living providers. Cuyahoga County provides us with, you know, with connections to young people. And we work with young people who have experienced homelessness that are stably housed now through the YWCA. So we have a lot of young people that are touched by both foster care and homelessness. Right. Well, I have two questions to ask. One is, as with any family, I imagine you run into conflict. (laughs) Do you provide some kind of conflict resolution services? Do you teach them how to manage conflict within the group themselves? How do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, any part of when you when you look at group dynamics, storming is a part of any good group dynamics, right? You're you're forming, there's like a nice little honeymoon period where everybody loves everyone. And then you start to peel back the layers of the onion and you find that indeed, people show a little bit more about who they are. All of us are difficult in different ways. So it's about figuring (laughs) out how to how to manage that and how to sometimes put our own agenda aside. Richard Rohr is a, somebody I would love to read. And he, he wrote, you know, transformation is really about unlearning. And so a lot of the transformation, both from the young person side and the volunteer side, is really about unlearning. Like you think you know everything, but really you don't. You don't know anything about somebody else's experience. So just because it worked for you as a parent with your children, you're not their parent. They're grown. So that's one of the big issues that we come up with volunteers that we have to kind of make sure they check themselves a little bit. The young person has to trust one of my staff or myself before we put them into a group. And the reason that is, is if the young person has some sort of a conflict or is offended or somebody says something incorrect or does something that is offensive to them, they need a place that they can come and be heard. Otherwise, they'll disappear from the group, right? So we spend a significant amount of time up front with the young people before we match them with a group. And they just naturally pick one of us 
they can pick whoever they want that they trust. Um, but we work as a team, so we're all kind of on the same page. But some of us know, you know, this young person better than that. If they stop coming, if they're not communicating, first thing we do is check in with the young person. And if they don't answer their phone for the volunteers, they'll answer the phone for us. Or we'll come to their house and knock on their door <laughs> so, and just check on them, make sure they're okay. So once we hear what the issues are, we ask them how they want to handle it. And we offer to be with them. We offer to let them handle it, like talk them through, coach them. Or we offer to go with them to the meeting or just talk to the volunteers without them, whichever they feel the most comfortable with. Because oftentimes, you know, their trauma can be triggered and the volunteers don't even know that they've done that. So we let them lead the way. They tell us what they want. And then based on whatever they feel comfortable with, that's how we proceed. Somebody just did that today. The young person wasn't responding. Staff person called her, had a good conversation with her. And now we're making the plan for how to move forward. Nothing really happened. Just the pandemic has put people in a funk, right? Nobody did anything wrong. It's just that people are struggling right now. So that's good. And so we'll get them back on track. And if that means we have to attend the next meeting on Zoom, because Zoom's difficult, but if we have to do that, we'll definitely do that to help them reconnect and get restarted again. But usually after we have that reconnection from whatever conflict, they usually take it from there. It doesn't get that serious, really. Okay. Well, that's good. And, and I will come back around to the challenging time we're in with COVID-19 and talk about that. But I did want to ask a question about any kind of residential support, because you mentioned homelessness. And so I'm gathering you're not a housing, transitional housing program, but how do you help the youth you serve have the housing that they need? So we don't put them into a group until they are housed. So sometimes we get to know them when they're in the homeless system. And then we work with our friends and our help providers who specifically work with housing. So as soon as they get their housing, then we get them started. Like I said, we spend about 10 hours with the young people. So even if they're homeless, when we first meet them, we get to know them. We spend time with them. We help connect them if they're not connected to the housing resources. And then once they get the housing resources, we work with other nonprofits in our area to make sure that they have what they need in their house. You have to have housing before you can really move forward in these other areas of your life. So we help make sure that they get what they need up front. The YWCA is a transitional housing upstairs. They have 23 units. So we serve a lot of those young people. So they're in that permanent supportive housing. They're already usually in the housing. If they're living independently and they're having a housing crisis, we have an emergency fund to help keep youth you know, housed. Housing is our number one priority because we just think without housing, you can't. Couch surfing is very difficult and being homeless, literally homeless in a shelter, very difficult and very traumatizing. So we're pretty committed to housing. And what about employment? Are the mentors the ones that help the youth find and attain and keep a job? Yes, a lot. It's really amazing. You know, there are a lot of great job programs out in our community that young people can attend for training. There's community colleges that are great. They have great programs, certificate programs. But you sometimes need support and somebody to say, are you going to your school? You know, are you are you following through? So a lot of what the uh, groups do is really help with accountability, like helping them maybe get to their program, helping them make sure that they are organized in their paperwork or their schoolwork proofreading some of their papers if they're in college, tutoring them in math if that's what they need. 
But then also for the young people who are more on like a certificate track, we had a young lady who was taking her cosmetology test. Her group helped her organize, like you have to take a bunch of supplies down to the state capitol and do the test. And so they helped her go through the questions that she'd have to answer. They did a whole practice thing where she did a practice in their meeting. And then they like really supported her as she got her cosmetology license. And then once she had it, they went out into the community to different salons and really helped advocate for her to get a job so much so that like literally she got a job at a salon because somebody in her group was like knocking on the door and was like, I have this great young lady who just got her license and we'd love to see her get a job. And in the job interview, that salon owner wanted that team member to be with a young person. So it was like a dual interview. It was fantastic. And she got the job. It's not that the young people can't do it on their own, but they have access and opportunity that they may not have because their social network isn't as broad as these adult mentors. So these adult mentors are pretty amazing people in the community. They Maybe they have their own law firm. They are a banker. They are teachers, nurses, doctors. You know, we have a young man who wants to be a doctor. In his group, he was able to pick two doctors, both retired. One had aged out of foster care 30 years ago. Oh my goodness. Right. And so he has this amazing group of people who are in the field that he wants to be in, supporting him and telling him what he's going to need to do and encouraging him along the way. And they love him. And he has found people who dearly care about him and, and even one man who understands a little bit about his experience. So it's really a cool bond. Um, so, so our volunteers are really motivated to really use who they know and what they know to help young people succeed and and get a better opportunity than they may have gotten on their own. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love hearing that. I wish there were more groups like yours everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) We like what we do. We think it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, Now, when the mentors are working with the youth, do they have a particular like a life skills curriculum that they follow to make sure, okay, we want to make sure that they have these skills before the end of the year? Do they do anything like that? Or is it really relying on their own experiences being adults? So we set this toolkit up at the beginning, right? What do you want to learn? What do you want to be exposed to? What activities? What goals? I mean, last year we helped 12 young people get their driver's license. That takes a lot of time. We had one group that spent like 100 hours driving around trying to teach. Yeah, I mean, it's a commitment. So one skill at a time is kind of how we go. You know, one thing at a time that they want to master. And the young person sets that intention. We don't want it to feel like it's, you know... uh, residential facility or any type of ISP that they're used to. Like we want this to be more organic. And again, it's really driven by relationship. Sometimes the volunteers are eager to accomplish, right? It's a very middle-class, upper-middle-class value to accomplish things and to like climb a ladder towards success. We really believe you're not going to be done in a year. We're not going to walk away from these young people in a year, which is why we created our own program. We were like, you know, it's, they're 18. They're, they're going to need people forever, just like we need people forever. It's their choice whether they're going to keep those people forever. It's up to the young person. But we want to set the intention with the volunteers that like this is something different than just, you know, delivering a meal or donating something. Like this is really about pouring your heart and soul into helping somebody and meeting them where they are. 
it's a very different thing. So we're not in a rush. We're not in a rush to teach them something because we're not going anywhere. That takes the pressure off both the volunteer and the young person that they have to like achieve a certain amount. People change when they're ready to change and not a minute before. And there's really nothing that pushing or prodding or nagging will do, especially with a teenager. We're fighting against development a little bit because if you think about the developmental task of an 18 to a 21-year-old, they're trying to separate and individuate from their parents, right, from their family and become their own individual adult. So here we are coming in, six volunteer strangers coming into their life and saying, trust us, we know, we'll help you. (laughs) And at this point in their life, that's not a natural thing for most 18 to 21-year-olds. I don't think I would have been brave enough to let six strangers into my life when I was 18, right? So if you think about how mature it is for them to even say that they want these relationships in the first place, what you really understand is that these young people really, really want relationship above all else. They'll say, yes, I need a lot of things, but I just want somebody to call and check on me. Or they'll say, I don't have an emergency contact person when I fill out a job application. So it's really just having people to celebrate the wins too. It's not all about what they don't know. We had four young people graduate from college. We have two graduating this week. They need people to come and celebrate that. You know, they did that. That wasn't the group. The group didn't do that. They did that. And so really though, having people to celebrate you when things are going well is also as important as having people to call when things are not going well. So that's fun too. So we get to see all the good things as well. Well, that's fantastic. Now, what about what what we're dealing with right now? Uh, It sounds like there's a lot of time getting together with the youth in person. So I would imagine that you're having to do this electronically now. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of texting, a lot of FaceTiming. There's still times when we have to go. Like in the last three weeks, we've helped three youth not get evicted. So like for us right now, we're in basic needs time, right? It's basically like, do you have enough food? Can you keep your phone on? And can you pay your rent? It's all basic right now, making sure that they have what they need. And um, we have a local resale shop, consignment shop that's going out of business. And they called me yesterday and said, will you take some clothes? And it's all really nice stuff. I'm like, absolutely. That's not something I would normally do because that's not really what we do. But we're in an extraordinary period in history. And so we're going to pivot and help meet the basic needs that they have, right? And I have to say the groups have just been amazing. They've ordered stuff on Amazon for young moms who can't take their babies out into the grocery store. They don't want to expose them. So they're ordering, you know, diapers or wipes to help a young person. Again, not we're not really about stuff generally. But right now, right now is not the time to worry about that. Right now is the time to be the safety net for each of these young people. And we have 61 groups. So we have a lot of young people. We are getting ready to like launch a bunch of new groups. And so these new groups are going to be on Zoom. I mean, they're going to have to know, the young people are going to have to know how to use electronics to connect. It's going to be difficult. We're probably going to shrink the size of the groups because that's a lot of people to see on a computer screen and not meet face to face. We'll have to figure it out. Hopefully as the restrictions lessen, we'll be able to meet like at a park outside where we can socially distance, but still be face-to-face, right? There's no substitute for face-to-face, but we don't want to wait to help more young people until the pandemic ends because there are just young people are alone. So they need people now. 
we do have a monthly club for young people so they can be with their peers. And that's one of our favorite things to do too. So we turned that into a Zoom and we've been doing it every, we just have decided to do it every other week. And it's been super fun. Young people are showing, I didn't think they'd come. I was like, oh, they won't come. They show up. They have some, we have so much fun. We just laugh. It's so good for all of us to be together. I mean, that's the thing. If you build a strong relationship, they trust you, they come and they pour into your life as well. It's definitely a mutual relationship. Yeah, definitely. I would imagine right now, though, there are a lot of things that the youth need to practice at this time. I mean, not just learning how to drive, but, you know, let's go to a bank and talk to a teller and look at the forms and things like that, that they just can't do until everything is lifted. Right. Like a lot of our young people are unemployed. So trying to help them uh, access the unemployment benefits that they deserve. But just like 30 million other Americans, you know, they're having a hard time getting through to the unemployment system in the state, right? Um, Making sure they have their medical, making sure they have food stamps, like helping them. We have to do it over the phone. That's what we've been helping with. And, you know, we're really toying with using Chromebooks and hotspots for young people that are getting ready to start with their groups because using your phone, young people use their phone to do a lot of things. Their phone is their lifeline. But if we could provide them with like a Chromebook, in a hotspot, they would be able to apply for jobs. They would be able to Zoom with their group. They would be able to check email. Like They'd have more access to the things that the rest of the world have access to that are really difficult to access through your phone. It's really hard to apply for a job on your phone. So that's kind of our next level thinking about how do we pivot and provide during this pandemic, which it's probably going to go on for a little while. So we're just trying to think about how do we strategically help young people now in the environment we're in now learn to navigate systems that previously people could have gone with them to help navigate. But right now we can't do that. I think we're doing a good job with figuring out how to meet their needs. Sounds like you're doing a great job, in fact. (laughs) So can the mentors give the youth things, money, or, or is that discouraged? I'm just curious how you set that up in your program. Well, so we let every group be autonomous with the caveat that money creates hierarchy. A lot of times when you grow up in foster care, it's a weird thing. People give you the things you don't really need. The things that you need most aren't really things when you're growing up, right? There's security, safety, love, support. So sometimes young people do receive that in foster care and sometimes they don't. But oftentimes, like at Christmas, like people give a lot of gifts, like to the county to give to foster youth or, you know, the adoption folks will provide presents or gift cards. You know, they're used to getting stuff. So we don't discourage some support. It needs to be a consensus between the members of the group. So one person shouldn't just like if a young person comes to one person in the group and says, I can't pay my phone bill, you know, would you be able to help me pay my phone bill? It's just $60 this month. I'll do better and I'll manage my money next month, but I really need my phone to be able to, you know, get jobs. So the team member is coached on going back to their group through that Basecamp app or whatever, group text or whatever, whatever, and saying, this is the request that this person has made and what do you all think and what are we comfortable doing? So they make the decision as a group. I don't really care what they decide. I just want to make sure they're doing it as a team. It's like in a parenting situation. If mom says no, do you go to dad? You know, so we don't want any of that division coming up or any like this is happening behind the rest of the team. So it just needs to be all up front. The young people that have learned how to drive, I mean, our volunteers are super connected. So sometimes they can reach out to their network and somebody will donate a car. That's tricky, <laughs> but 
again, they help the young person research insurance and help them figure out how to transfer title and help them figure out, you know, how you maintain a car. So it's not just giving somebody something to give them something. It's to help them meet a goal or to help them move forward in their life. That's all I say about money is like, it can't just be because you need to make yourself feel better. You need to ask yourself, is this helping them move their life forward? And if you do it for them, are you robbing them of an opportunity to learn something here? It has to be the why of the money. So we have funding for emergencies. So if there's like an emergency, they lose their job, they can't pay their rent. We have a fund for that. I don't want my volunteers paying rent. That's a big budget expense. If you want to take them out to dinner, that's fine, whatever. But I don't want you paying rent. That's a different thing. And we want to teach them how to pay their rent and how to budget. We got to get in and figure out why they couldn't pay their rent. So it's really a balance uh, between helping them learn what they, we're trying to teach them how to fish, not just give them all the fish. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. How can people who are listening to this podcast, if they wanted to help you out, possibly with some funds or some things, how could they get that to you? Well, our website is www.hopeclee.org. And they could find all the information about how they could donate, volunteer, help. Everything's on the website, including my contact information. So they are always welcome to give me a call or send me an email. We're using an app called Perposity right now. And when we have needs, we can go on that app and put that in. And it becomes an Amazon wish list for whatever young person might need school supplies or whatever. Yeah. So it's, that's a really great way for people to be able to fulfill needs for young people. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at the time here and I think we're probably going to need to wrap up. I've really enjoyed talking with you about your program. Um, I will take the opportunity just to share that aging out Institute has just started a new Facebook group for mentors and for people who run mentor programs such as yourself. So um, it's on Facebook and it's AOI Foster Youth Mentors. We just started. So we're just starting to get people coming in. And the idea is not that it's going to be a group where Aging Out Institute is pushing a lot of things out. We really want it to be a community where mentors can share ideas with each other, tools. Hey, this is how we do it. Well, hey, we've got a young person with this challenge. What would you do? And really get the mentors throughout the country and, and even other countries just sharing ideas with each other. And uh, and so I'm going to indulge and, and share that. That's for you and your mentors as well. If they're interested in joining, please just go to Facebook and click the submit to uh, to join. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Well, I do wish you all the best getting through this COVID-19 time and beyond as you grow and serve more young people. I'm very excited about the work that you're doing. I just, I wish there were more models like this out there. And who knows, maybe from this podcast, you might get people who want to start one in their area. So we'll see. Thank you so much. I appreciate for what, what you're doing too and raising awareness of the issues that young people have. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Any resources or research mentioned in today's podcast will be added to this episode's show notes at agingoutinstitute.org forward slash AOI podcast. If you have any suggestions for people or programs that you think we should highlight in a future podcast, please send an email with your ideas to podcast at agingoutinstitute.org. 
Finally, if you found this podcast to be informative or useful, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider becoming a podcast-level patron on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can help enable AOI to continue interviewing nonprofit leaders, social workers, and former foster youth well into the future. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash aging out institute. Thank you so much for considering it and thank you for listening. Until next time.